this morning. Amen. Before you sit down, you quick sitters, take that rejoicing, turn to somebody next to you and say, Merry Christmas. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and good morning. Go ahead and take your seats, everyone. All right. Settle down, settle down. All right, welcome. My name is Amy. If we haven't met, I'm here to say hello and tell you a Merry Christmas if you haven't heard that yet this morning um, because it's Sunday and we are seven days out from Christmas Day. Um, And so for some of you this week, that means a lot. Um, And it means that you are preparing for family or finishing your shopping or uh, just getting ready for a lot of things. And it can be stressful, but obviously we want to take this next week and try to find time uh, to uh, acknowledge what this season really is all about uh, amongst everything else that happens. And it's, we are at the the tail end of the month, which means you've maybe already gone to your holiday parties and your secret Santa, your white elephant, all of that stuff, uh, might be heading into a close. Uh, And so with that, um, as we go into Christmas, oh, actually, I forgot to say that if you're new, I want to say hello to you, especially to my friend Mary, who's new. Hello, Mary. Mary's visiting from San Diego, and if you are like her visiting uh, family or just stopping in, we do have a gift for you, and that's at the info booth. We want to make sure you grab that on the way out, Um, and so make sure you don't forget that. If you are new and you want to know information about the church, it's in your seat pocket in front of you, Um, and so we want to welcome you this morning. And we also, as you came in, you should have received a little card about our Christmas Eve service. This is not for you to keep unless you have a very bad memory, then you can put it on your refrigerator. However, it is for you to give away uh, to a neighbor or a friend and invite them to Christmas Eve this Sunday because we are having two services. It's at 5 p.m. and 6.30. And these are candlelight services where you get to light a candle. And we are inviting you and your families, including your children. We don't have childcare that evening because we want them all in here with you and to celebrate Christmas Eve with you. Christmas Day uh, is the next day. And with that, we are having one service. So if you didn't know, 10 a.m. is our service time at Sunday. It's the only one we're having. We are having a full Sunday school, so your children are welcome next door. They're going to have a nice Christmas message, and you're welcome in here. And so that's what's happening this weekend. All of these things will be streamed live, Lord willing. And so that's uh, that you can do that as well if you end up at home. Um, But we are going to be here Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Um, And then as we round out our 2022, uh, I want to remind you of your year-end giving. So this is really for responsible people that do their taxes and are looking ahead and trying to plan. Um, Any contribution that you give to SBC, whether it's for missions or something else, 
If you want that counted towards 2022, it has to be in our hands on December 31st. Um, if something hap- comes in January 1st, at that point it's too late, and that goes towards 2023. Um, and I want to remind you that for a year in giving as well, we do uh, try to give a staff gift. And so for those that are on staff, um, you have an opportunity to give a little extra gift um, towards the staff. Anything that comes in that's labeled staffed gift, whether it's online or through check, gets distributed among our staff. And our staff has grown actually very recently. And so that is also something you can give towards. Uh, there's a lot of things that have happened in the last month and those things you've already contributed to. And I want to thank you for that. Angel Tree, I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. That's just above and beyond already taken care of. Uh, and so thank you for everything you've given. Um, I hope that you all have a Merry Christmas. I'm saying this now because I'm not going to be here next week, by the way. With that, let's have Pastor Jesse come up. Good morning, good morning, good morning. And Merry Christmas. Almost. Hey, good to see you, as Amy mentioned. My name is Jesse, part of the team here. I, I want to highlight a couple things. One is, uh, hey, it is so great that you decided to come to church this week because you weren't here last week, <laughs> which is okay. That's okay. Uh, I get it. We actually made a decision this uh, last week after kind of wrestling through, and, you know, we have a mentality here. <clears throat> We're not going to cancel church for nothing. Now, I live up the street, so if I got a sled down, I'll sled down. But we're going to do church no matter what. If you're here, you're here. And if you're not, you need to watch online. And I know some of you are online now. That's great. Uh, we're going to, in the future, please be aware of, you know, if you haven't signed up for the newsletter, do so. The app, uh, which is on all devices, the internet, the website, all that. Uh, we're going to start doing a delayed start when it happens like that. Just do one service at 1030. Give you guys some more time to dig out and get here. And uh, just want to make mind uh, uh, mention of that. Number two. <clears throat> To Amy's point, uh, we are thankful for what you have done financially this year, and we don't want uh, that to be lost on when we communicate the needs or anything else like that. Just so you are aware, God is gracious. Uh, he, it's, it's apparent that he is moving on your hearts, and we're, we're, uh, we'll be releasing probably in the next couple months a, a financial report and kind of a year-end report so you get to see a little bit of what we do with all our finances. We give away quite a bit outside of the walls. Uh, I think it's 28% at this point, something like that. Uh, but um, anyways, uh, yeah, we, we're thankful. We're actually, this year is going to be uh, the largest giving year that we've ever had as a history of a church, which is just mind-boggling because that's been the case for the last three or four years in a row. <clears throat> And um, hey, it, it takes resources to build the kingdom, and let's not try to sugarcoat that. It takes money, it takes time, it takes treasures, it takes talent, and you guys give it in spades, so thank you. Uh, and to what Amy mentioned, yeah, we, we, before I even came on staff, like almost 20 years ago, it's always been a historical thing to say, hey, uh, for the Christmas bonus for the staff, if you want to give, we'll make sure that bonus gets to the staff, we'll divvy it out. I've never really, if I'm honest, uh, I've never really totally felt comfortable with that at Christmas time. I don't like standing up here and saying, hey, if you want to give money to our staff, uh, please do so. There's just so many other things to give to, and maybe we'll rectify that. I've been trying to consider how we do bonuses for our staff uh, in another way and build that into the budget. But just so you know, that hasn't changed. And so if the staff gets a Christmas bonus, it comes from your generosity. So if we get $100 and that's divided by 10, guess what? We will be thankful for the $10 
and we'll give 10 of it back to Jesus. So we'll have $9, which is pretty cool. So thank you. Um, So let's start out like this. Let's ask the question as we are in this Advent series. So that's the series we're in. Advent is just the four weeks leading up to Christmas that celebrates the past that Jesus has come. That's what Advent basically means. He has come. And, and to look forward to, right? We have a, a looking back mindset like we do in the Old Testament. Tell me about the predictions of Jesus. Tell me about the prophecy of Jesus. Tell me about how broken the world was before Jesus. And then Jesus comes. That's the Advent. That's what we celebrate. Come thou long expected Jesus. And at the same time, we celebrate and we also look forward to the second Advent that Jesus is coming again. And in the four weeks of Advent, usually four candles are lit to uh, exemplify the light coming into the darkness. And we, we usually cover four points in Advent series, love, hope, peace, and joy. Those are the, theme, the major themes. This morning, uh, last week we talked about hope, but this morning we're going to talk about peace. Long-awaited hope last week, so tune into that if you haven't. And then long-awaited peace, the kind of peace that Jesus brings. Are you marked as a person of peace? Would you say you have peace? Now, as we get ready to stand here this morning, I'm going to read for you. Uh, We're going to be in two places this morning, Ephesians 2, so you can put your finger there, and then Luke chapter 2, Ephesians 2 and Luke 2. So go to Luke 2, and if you don't have a Bible, one of these handsome fellas would love to hand you a Bible. Uh, they, they work for free, so make them feel good. And, and if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and grab one, okay? Um, if you don't own one, take it too. <clears throat> free, just like Jesus' grace, right? If you would turn to Luke chapter 2, and as is our custom on Sundays, we stand for the reading of God's word to get our minds and our hearts positioned and ready but also to say thank you for God speaking. So would you stand with me, please, if you're able to, uh, and uh, let's read from Luke 2. I actually, in this service, I want to start in verse 11. Backdrop, an angel has appeared to these lowly shepherds, humble, obscure men out in the field, and an angel comes, and his first declaration In verse 9, I'm sorry, verse uh, 10, and the angel said to them, fear not. That's the right response for an angel. You know you're speaking to an angel when they say, everything's going to be okay. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, born this day in the city of David, is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He will be a sign for you You'll find a baby in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, many angels, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is what we desire. We want peace, Lord. Bring it in abundance this morning. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Please take a seat. The proclamation of the first advent from these angels to these lowly shepherds, glory to God in the highest and peace amongst men with whom he is well pleased. 
well, let's just have a discussion about our culture and our world, shall we? Would you say that in our culture and our society today that we are marked as a people of peace? What's interesting, actually, as I was studying through uh, this uh, sermon that I wanted to preach this morning in regards to peace, I came across an article out of Christianity Today. It just, I just happened to fall upon it, which was great. And, and what he talked about in this particular article, they brought out a particular point about a gentleman by the name of Chris Hedges. Chris Hedges set out to study and to determine if there has ever been in the world any sustained periods of peace. And he was able to look at roughly 3,400 uh, 3, years of world history. And he had some parameters. The parameters were, in order to be uh, considered a war or a battle or what have you, at least 1,000 lives needed to be lost. So anything under 1,000 wasn't counted. 3,400 years, at least 1,000 lives lost, how many years out of 3,400 do you think he was able to find? That was what the first uh, group said in the first service. It, it's actually a lot higher than that. It's actually 268 years. Now, that doesn't include, you know, little tribal factions. doesn't include maybe some of the smaller things uh, in the, the tribes between Papua New Guinea and Africa and things like that where tribes are known to literally wipe each other out. And that may seem like a lot. Wow, 268 years. Granted, that's only 3,400 years of of surveying, but that equates to 92%. 92% of this year surveyed had no peace. We live in a world of division, don't we? I mean, if there is ever a time to be divided, it is today. We live in a world of rivalries. Republicans versus Democrats. North versus South. Those things are quite serious. How about some funnier ones? PC versus Mac. Coke versus Pepsi, about Gandalf versus Saruman. For you Auburn fans, are there any? How about Michigan fans? Who do you hate? Shannon, you're marrying one of the biggest Ohio State fans, there, Michigan fans there is. You hate Ohio. You're getting married to one of the biggest Michigan fans there is. You hate Ohio. We're going to start a battle right here in church right now. For Duke, it's North Carolina. There's just rivalries everywhere. Right? And if that didn't make anything worse, right, COVID hit, which made it even, uh, exacerbated the issue even more. We divided ourselves into maskers and non-maskers, into vaxxers and non-vaxxers. We have never lived in a time of so much disunity than today, at least for us. And I'm sure that's probably untrue. There's a lot of wars and a lot of people who die. But the, the bottom line is we just don't have a lot of peace. One commentator, one author says that really our most basic need as humans is to have peace with God. That's his argument. I think the Bible argues that. I think deep down in your heart, if you're seeking religion, if you would call it that, or a spiritual experience or relationship with Jesus, you indeed are wondering, what kind of thing would God bring to me? Will he bring me peace? My life is marked by division. Now, for me, to just share a little bit of my own personal impact of a... Some of you know, right? My, my parents were both 
heavy into drugs and alcohol. My biological father did 10 years in Folsom Prison for shooting his girlfriend in the face just above the pastime club in Truckee. I was 12 years old at the time. Uh, And then my father who raised me, Dave was his name, he moved from San Diego and he used to ride around with the Hells Angels. I still have in my garage his 1971 Harley shovel head that he built from the ground up. But with that, before Christ, man, the kind of people my dad brought into the house were not people marked by peace. And you knew that by their names, right? You, you, you don't get a name like One-Eyed Jack if you're a friendly guy. Or Indian Joe. Or The Grape. These were the kind of characters I grew up with. And one particular day, I was probably seven or eight years old, I went up to Indian Joe, and I was bugging Indian Joe. I was giving Indian Joe the riot. You know, I was just a kid trying to figure it out. And I remember Indian Joe, big guy, big beard, you know, huge beard, long hair, looked like a big Indian, but he was really white, and he was meaner than the Indians on TV too, right? Like, this guy was a character. And I kept bugging him. I remember he told me, hey, if you keep bugging me, I'm going to grab you. I'm going to dunk you in the hot tub. So we had a hot tub outside. You know, and eight, seven, eight years old, all that is is an invitation to keep going, right? See if you're to keep poking him, right? And Indian Joe, who was like six foot something, six foot six or whatever, and I'm short as it is now. Imagine what I was at seven. He just easily whoop, picked me up by my legs, took me over to the hot tub, dunked me into the hot tub multiple times. I thought I was going to die, right? No peace. My home was filled with a lack of peace, division, anxiety, angst, anger, depression. I can tell you today that's not the case. Rather, because of the life of Christ, there is a tremendous amount of peace that has flooded into my heart that I didn't have. And that's the kind of peace that Jesus ultimately wants to give us. Now, this is the declaration of the angels, but I think there's a passage that helps this kind of fold out for us, and it comes out of Ephesians 2. So I told you to have your finger there. Go there. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 First of all, I just tell you, I think Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 are probably two of my favorite Bible verses, if not one of my favorite books in the Bible. Because in Ephesians chapter 1, we get one of the most beautiful breakdowns of our salvation in Scripture, at least for me. That God was thinking of you before the foundation of the world. God is saving you currently and sanctifying you. And he has sealed you like saran wrap with the Holy Spirit to guarantee your delivery to heaven. And then in chapter 2, he starts to fold out what grace and salvation looks like, that we can access God's grace through faith. And in chapter 2, this is what is read. Listen, because this passage is going to help us define peace. Notice what it says, Ephesians 2.12. Remember, remember what? That you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, Strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and he's broken down the flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace. And that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility 
And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Well, there it is. What in the world is peace according to this passage? It doesn't take too much observation of the text to see the beauty of what the peace of God is. Notice the negative language first and foremost, separated, alienated, strangers. That's all language of proximity. There is a distance between you and God. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, he himself has become our peace, and he has killed the hostility, made one man. And in verse 16, it's really important that he might reconcile us. Peace, ultimate peace, is between you and God in reconciliation. If we're to find biblical peace, biblical peace is I now have close proximity to God. I have closeness. I have accessibility. The door is opened. It is not locked. It is there for me. I can walk through it. I can enjoy as much or as little time with God as possible. This is an unfathomable new reality for the Jewish readers. Because if you remember, the only ones who could have access to God were the priests. They had to do everything right. There was a veil they had to go through. They had to clean. They had to go through washing ceremonies. The list is long. It is continuous. It would have been a a, a huge wake-up call for them to hear, oh, guess what? There's no more hostility between anybody. This is for all people. How do I know that? Why is this important? Why is this about peace? Notice what he's saying. Who is he talking to? Two different groups of people. The Jews, those who are of the promise, those who grew up with the Old Testament teachings of Yahweh, they knew Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Their kids memorized it for crying out loud. They had done everything right to have peace with God. And now there is a new group of people who have come into proximity with Jesus. They are the Jews. This is what's literally happening in the church. I can't even imagine, right? I, I remember, because it wasn't that long ago, I remember what it was like to lead through the pandemic. Okay, for some of you, you got the privilege of not having to lead during that season. I didn't get to have that privilege. And I'm okay with that, sort of. I forgot what I was saying. I got so wrapped up in the leading of the pandemic. But this was the church in the New Testament. Imagine pastoring this. You have, literally, all of the Jews who are the covenant of promise. They get into church. They know the Old Testament. They know the stories of Yahweh. They've been able to even make connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament about Jesus that some of you are still trying to figure out. They just got it naturally. Then you had a group of people didn't know the Bible, didn't know Jesus, didn't know spirituality. In fact, they knew the, they knew the opposite. The Jews had one God. How many gods did the Gentiles have? All of them. Like all of them, okay? We worship all of them. That's when you hear Paul talking about all the different idols, and he goes, oh, and then there's this one God. You don't even know his name. That's actually the one you should be worshiping. All these other gods are basically trash, right? That, that, that's the, the deal. So inside of this church, <laughs> inside of the church of the first century is all of these guys and gals who knew the Bible. And then you had a whole group going, I like Jesus, 
right? That's essentially what was happening. And really, just so you understand, these two, they're kind of, they're at it. This is why this passage is at peace. All throughout the New Testament, you'll find the Jews and the, the Romans who are now being saved and they're rubbing against each other and, and they're having these weird conversations in church. You think weird conversations in church is new? No, 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 no. Imagine this. Imagine there's a, a, a young or an older, let's say older, that'll work better. We got an older Jewish gentleman who's grown up in the faith he gets out of his seat and he walks over to Chris, who's brand new, and he says, Chris, you know, if you really want to do this, Jesus thing, you're going to have to get circumcised. Yeah. And then your kids hear it and they're like, whoa, dad, we need to find another church. <laughs> That's what's happening. But here's, here's the deal. He says, well, I've made one new man. These things are external. They don't matter. That's why he says he's abolished the law. The law no longer is going to bring you peace. See, one group is trying to accomplish the peace of God by doing all of the right things because they think I'm a children of promise. I know the Old Testament. And if I just do the things that I should do, I'll have peace. And some of you think that spirituality works that way. Some of you think that if you do all the right things, you'll have the peace of God and you'll feel good about yourself. If I tithe, if I serve, if I give, if I go to church, if I watch online, if I do these certain things, I'll have peace. Now, the Jews, on the other hand, the, Jew, the, the Jews on their end, they're all about, I get peace by what I do, the good things that I do. Now, the <laughs> Gentiles, on the other hand, they think they'll get peace by doing whatever the heck they want. Right? I don't have a God. I have many gods. I can do anything I want with my body. It's my body. It's my choice. And I can do whatever I want. Here's, the, here's what the text is ultimately sharing within this division. You can't get the peace of God by doing everything right. And you'll never get the peace of God doing whatever you feel like doing. One part of the world thinks, just give me the freedom to do and be whatever I want. That's hogwash and it's a lie. God is the one who declares your identity over your soul. He's the only one who brings peace. So peace is not doing everything right, and peace is not doing whatever the heck you want. And that's one of the reasons why there's these agendas that exist. Because they think, if, if, if you accept my lifestyle, I'll finally have peace. Guess what? No, you won't. There's no amount of acceptance in a lifestyle or anything else that anyone can give you that will give you peace. It only comes from Jesus. So the definition of peace is reconciliation to God. You need to understand that. And how do I know it's such a big deal, right? Remember I said, the, the commentator said, the most basic need we have as humans is peace with God. Even the culture gets this. Let's share a few reasons how I know, okay? It'll be fun. The number one reason at Christmas time I know the world is desiring reconciliation is because of the movie Elf. It's a wonderful movie. Buddy the elf is reconciled, literally, back to his father. That's the Christmas message. In addition to that, Buddy the elf no longer is an elf. He becomes a man. He puts his elfdom behind him. How about the Grinch? Remember the story of the Grinch? He's reconciled at the end, back into community, and he receives a what? A larger heart. It's embedded in the Christmas message. 
And even though Ralphie's dad will lose his prized leg lamp, Ralphie will receive his long-desired BB gun. He'll be reconciled to his ultimate wish. And in the new story, the Christmas story 2, the presents are stolen from the family. They think there's going to be no Christmas. They wake up in the morning only to find that Ralphie's father, who had passed away, had prepared Christmas beforehand, and everyone receives gifts at the end. Sorry for ruining the movie. How about Scrooge? He gets his second chance. He literally puts the old man behind him. He becomes a new man. Or the debated Christmas movie, John McCain is reconciled back to Holly. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? It's Die Hard. And it's never a movie that should be mentioned in church. But if someone's going to be stupid enough to do it, it'll be me. So how do we get this peace? Well, according to the text, it is reconciliation, but how do we get to that reconciliation? The text is really clear. It's right there at the very beginning. Remember. I mean, that is one of the ultimate issues that we have as Christians. We are forgetful. We forget to be thankful. We forget the blessings. We forget how good things are. We forget how rich our nation is. I mean, these things are just, it it blows me away. Anytime we get together as a family and we watch a documentary on the old world or castles, we watch one on castles. And I remember literally teaching the kids in castles. If you look at these massive castles and you look up and you'll look way, way up and there'll be this little pop out with a brick tunnel that goes all the way to the ground. Does anybody know what that is? That's a bathroom. They let gravity do the work. In a brick room, it's another thing you shouldn't mention in a Christmas sermon. Yet here I am. And, the, and down below, they'd clean it out. Running water is a big deal. I try to share with my kids through the, such teaching. Most of the world doesn't have running water. We have so much of it, we freeze it on the mountains. It's everywhere. Remember, but remember what? Look at what he says. Verse 12, remember, at one time you were separated. You were without Christ. That's the first thing he says. Remember what? Remember that one time you were separated from Christ. Like walking in the desert for 40 years without God leading. You were defenseless and the wrath of God quite possibly could be upon you. Man, my home before Jesus came, this is what it was like. There was no Christ in our home. It was anger. It was violence. It was addiction. It was depression. It was anxiety. It was fear. But God has come to replace that. But without him, without Jesus, my friends, if you're here and you're seeking, this is the season to accept Christ as your Savior. This is the season to share Christ with your neighbor. Because this is the time. Listen, you will be defenseless before God, but Jesus will reconcile you back to himself. Without Christ, what else happens? Number two, you're alienated. That's what it says in verse 12 as well. That's language of I have no nation, I have no people, I am hopeless. Ephesians 4, later in the book, will say in verse 18 that they, speaking of those who've turned their back on God, that they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Right, a hard heart will keep one from God. It will alienate you from the nation of God. He goes on and says, you're strangers to promises. It's also in verse 12. You have no promise, no hope. That's what we talked about last week. There is no promises for you. There's no guarantee for you. 
I mean, if you, you don't have to listen to the culture very long to know this is true because if you're a bundle of atoms and explosions, you're here for a moment and then you're gone. My friends, you've got to choose your miracle this season because everyone believes in a miracle. You know that, right? You either believe in the miracle of the virgin birth or you believe in the miracle of a virgin bang. Boom, everything showed up. And if the latter is true, it all blew up. That virgin explosion into what we now know as life means at one point or another, you will die and everything you did in the last 50, 40, 60, 80, whatever years it is, doesn't matter. No hope, no future, no nothing. You're just a bundle of chemicals. That's all you are. Even scientists have tried to reduce that down to, if you love somebody, it's just a little, little, and a chemical, and, a, and that's all it is. There's nothing more transcendent. There's nothing out there. There's nothing else for you. See, without him, we have to remember there is no promise. There is no future. We will be godless, and we will be filled with hostility. Look at verse 14. No peace but hostility. Our lives, like much of world history, will be marked by conflict. And that is exactly what society sells, is it not? I mean, all the Kardashians is is arguing. It's all it is. And I haven't seen an episode of that in like 10, 15 years. I'd never make an effort to go watch the Kardashians. And if you're watching it, just do us all a favor and stop. Quit giving them your money. Quit giving them your time. Quit putting that garbage in your mind because it only leads towards you wanting to duplicate that kind of stuff. And that's what you see online. Man, I've just recently in the last two years been opened up to the hostility on YouTube between preachers. It's disgusting, it's arrogant, and it's wrong. It's vile. Don't waste your time on that garbage because that's what it is. It's absolute garbage, and it's a life before Christ. Why would you get your theology from YouTube? Why would you get your doctrine from Twitter? Give me a break. I'm about to go off here. Did I hear a little kid go, yay? (laughs) It's entertaining when he gets mad. Titus, that was your kid? Of course, we know that in spite of the way that we are suffocated and alienated away from Christ before him, we still try and attempt to bring peace in our own lives. Some of us have fallen to the folly that if we just have, right, political peace, it'll be great. If we have financial peace, it'll be great. If we can just get along with everyone, it'll be great. But Scripture's really clear. Those things aren't going to happen on this side of heaven. In fact, Jesus actually teaches that because of him, father and son and mother and daughter may even be divided because some of you are going to come to faith in Christ and your family is not going to understand it. That's a division and a peace you won't have. When the Bible talks about peace, it's not talking about that kind of peace. Again, it's talking about reconciliation with God. That's man's greatest need. And outside of that need, once you have have found that peace, all other experiences of peace flow out of that one peace. You can't just pursue peace in your family or peace in a nation without seeking peace with God. There is no peace without it. So, That's the first thing. How do we get peace? You have to remember what life was like without it. You know, the entire Bible, I had a gal, this, uh, man, man, there's so many beautiful things happening here. It's so great. But there's this gal came to me this morning, and, and she said, she gave me a note today. 
And on that note, she's been coming to church for the last six months after not coming to church for over 20 years. And she gave me a card, and on the card she said, basically the card was, you have helped me find peace with God in a way that I've not had in, in my entire life, ever. And she's realizing she's not going to find peace in any other place except between him and her, right? This is the time to share that peace and not a shadow of peace. Money's not going to bring you peace. There, you know how much money has been spent in Ukraine? You know probably better than I do. It's a lot of money. Do you think that money will ever bring ultimate peace to Ukraine? I'm not trying to be political here, but it won't. Even if it does, the Ukrainians and the Russians both, inside of their hearts, deep down will be screaming to be right with God again. There may be no gun blasts, there may be no more murders, but inside their hearts, they'll still be desiring something more. Just like that lady who has realized that I can't find peace anywhere else. But look it, there, there's another key here. That's the negative side, right? Ephesians gives us the, the negative side. Hey, um, okay, we have to remember, I was separated, I was alienated, no hope, strangers of promise. But look at verse 13. What's it say? It's the intervening God of our Christianity. It's the intervening God of our faith. But now, but now he has just negated everything before. If you are a believer in Christ, you remember the past. That's important. You got to know what kind of what pit you came out of. You were a stranger. You didn't know. But now, you who were once far off have been brought near. Do you see it? You got to see it. You got to look. Look at it. Read it. I don't have the power. It does. Read it for yourselves. Let it get in your eyeballs. Let it run around in your mind and jack with you a little bit and then let it hopefully drip down into your heart and then change your actions. That's what we're hoping to happen here. And how has he made this possible? Well, first of all, we need to see what it says in verse 14. What does it say in verse 14? You, he, for he is our peace. He himself is our peace. Peace is not an ideology. Peace is not even necessarily a theology. Peace is a person. It's Jesus. He's the person of peace. And so not only do we need to remember where we've come from, we need to remember the person of Jesus and all that he's done for us. Because what has Jesus done? He has preached peace. Look at verse 17. I'm jumping out of order a little bit, but I want you to see it. Verse 17, he preaches peace. All that to say, that text basically means he's the one who makes peace possible. How did he do it? Go back to Ephesians because it's there. Do you see it? Do you? Do you see it? This is me encouraging you to be in your Bible. To look at the words because the words matter. Words matter. What does it say? By the blood the way that Jesus has reconciled us to himself is through his perfect, sinless blood given on our behalf. 
peace as a person. Peace is Jesus who's brought us near, and he has preached that peace. And the preaching of that peace is that you can be reconciled to God, not by your good deeds, and you can't be kept from God because of your evil deeds, but you can be drawn near to God because of his perfection, because of his perfect life lived on your behalf for his death and my friends for his resurrection. You have peace with God because he has shed his innocent blood on your behalf. Because sin is a declaration of war. And what Jesus has done is he's declared that war back on the cross and he's defeated the enemy that is Satan in our lives. And if you don't have peace, it's because you've allowed Satan to tickle your mind instead of the good Lord Jesus. Are you with me? By his blood, what does Isaiah 53 say? Hundreds of years before the coming of this king, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. And with his wounds, we're healed. What was your life like before the Lord? Was it like mine? Are you in the room this morning and your life is marked by the chaos of addiction, by the division of whatever it may be in the season? You don't get along with your wife, not getting along with your kids, not getting along with anybody. It's just how, how do you want to bring peace into your home? You have to remember that you, you don't deserve peace, but he gave you peace. He reconciled you back to himself that not only could you hear the preaching of this peace for you, but that you could also become a preacher of peace. I mean, isn't that what the good news says? That, that, that we're to carry the gospel of peace like shoes on our feet in Ephesians 6? We're to take this good news of reconciliation, good news of peace, good news of forgiveness of sin everywhere we go. And look at the good news of what he does in verse 15 because of this great act of his death and his resurrection. Look, he makes what? One man out of two. What's the language? He makes enemies friends this was the jews and the gentiles again man i i know what it is to lead in a divisive time and i can't help but smile thinking what it was like for these early pastors to be preaching through this kind of division because even now i, I got i got young guys who come to me and they're like i just want to love jesus man don't breathe don't bring me down with all that theology and doctrine just go love jesus i love those people have you guys seen the guy online who, who, who does the pop and lock? Jesus Christ! <laughs> He's, oh, man. Oh, that's only for me, I guess. So hilarious. Jesus Christ! Right? They're, 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 there's those guys in the church, and, and they need discipleship. But you know what else comes in church, man? Just like those Jews. Let me tell you what it says in Deuteronomy. Right? There's that one passage that... Once every 10 years at this point, someone comes and says, you can't have tattoos. And they bring up that one passage. I'm like, oh, man, you got me. I'm going to quit next week. I can't help but think of what it would be like to lead in, in that way. And, and, and yet here comes Jesus, and he says, guess what? Get your eyes off of the exterior and put your eyes on the person of Jesus. 
Because when your eyes are on Jesus, it's really hard when you're looking up at him to look down on anybody else. And in the room, you don't see male, female, or you don't see rich or poor. You don't see great theologian or reckless theologian. You see one man who's hidden in Christ. Because God the Father only sees two people in Adam or in Jesus. To be in Adam is to be reconciled to your sin, is to be reconciled to the self, is to be reconciled to the world and everything in it. But Jesus has come and he has proclaimed that peace at this Christmas time. This long-awaited Jesus has come who is God. And instead of being reconciled to all those things that bring chaos, he reconciles you to himself and because he's so gracious and kind, he gives you a new life and a new home and a new people. That to this day, I stand before you and think, I don't know where I would be if Jesus didn't come and preach this peace to my mom. And then my mom preached that peace to my dad. And then that same preaching of peace came to me. And then it came to my wife, and I found a wife who loves Jesus probably more than I do, and that's hard to believe. And now I get to preach that peace to my four beautiful kids. And I get to preach peace on Christmas Eve. And I get to preach peace on Christmas Day. In a world that desperately needs this message. I need this message. I mean, do you know what this morning was like? Our main worship guy woke up with a fever. Thank you, team, for stepping up. Got a new worship. Brad Beers, I don't even know if he's in the service right now. He might be running around somewhere else. They practiced this morning for you all. Did an amazing job. I was sick a couple weeks ago. You know what that means? Everybody else in my family is now sick. I'm fine. I feel great. My wife, on the other hand, she's sick right now with two other kids at home. Right now, I slept next to two kids coughing in my ear. It was like jingle bells and coughs. <coughs> And I still woke up in a good mood because God's good. People want to stay away from me this morning. I'm not sick. I told you I'm not sick. sick. The death of hostility, it is dead. There's no hostility between you and God anymore. And because of that, we must be preachers of peace. And we have to remember the peace to come. It's not in the text, but I think it at least needs to be mentioned. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4 gives us a picture of what peace will finally be like in the second advent right we celebrate and we rejoice in the the peace we have and that that peace has been preached to us and that we get to preach that peace to others but we also have to remember that there is a peace that's coming my friends jesus is going to come back and he's going to make everything right and this is how isaiah 2 14 2 4 says it he shall judge between nations and he shall decide disputes for many peoples he will be the judge. He will know what is right, and he will know what is wrong. He's going to judge the nations. But at the end, listen to this. Those who are at war, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Do you hear it? Literally what he's saying is this tool of death and destruction that is a sword, this tool that was used to mention the kind of statistics I mentioned before, 
less than 300 years of peace, this tool of bloodshed and murder that the people will see God be reconciled to God in such a way that they'll take that sword, they'll smelt it down, and they will beat it down into a plowshare. And a plowshare is that which is to bring fruit and sustenance to people. Literally what he's saying is that which is used for violence will be reshaped to bring peace to all the people and flourishing to all of the people. And then he says those hooks will be used for what? Not as weapons, but to reshape and to regrow the earth as God sees fit. One day, there'll be no swords. There'll be no guns. There'll be no more bombs. There'll be no more bloodshed. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more loss of a loved one. There will only be peace and reconciliation in heaven with the one who made it possible through his shed blood and the preaching of the gospel that is Jesus. So while it is still day, we are children of the day and we keep building on the foundation that God has given us. That's what Ephesians says in the closing here. Do you see it? All of this was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It's not built on a pastor and it's not built on a denomination. It's built on the apostles who shed their blood on our behalf, not as Jesus did, but as martyrs. They were willing to die for the one who is the cornerstone. Because Jesus is the foundation, he's also the cornerstone. And the apostles have laid the doctrine in all of the ways in which we need to live life for us. Quit building on that. There's a whole movement that says, I'm an apostle, and they think they have some kind of special power from God. No, you're not. You're a human being in need of reconciliation. We've already had apostles, and the apostles have made it possible for us to know how to build. That's the most important part of a building, ain't it? What happens if you get a wonky foundation? You get that house that's uh, on the drive to Kings Beach on the right. You know what I'm talking about? That's what you get. But when the foundation is sure, we study the word, we study what's there. The apostles have written that for us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus has shown us what that is on the cross. It all makes sense through that. I don't need to create teaching. I don't need to try to figure this out on my own. I don't need to come up with my own ideas. God has figured it out all for me. All I need to do is kind of go through life and go, I love you, Lord. That's what one of the great theologians said. You want to know how to serve God? Love him with all your heart and do whatever you want. Because if you love God with all your heart, you're going to do the things that God wants you to do, yeah? Not the ways of the world. This is the proclamation of peace that God has given us, church. He's given it to you. He's given it to me. It has been preached that we would no longer be strangers, but we'd be fellow citizens in heaven. And I am happy to call you family. And I am at peace within my heart with Jesus and pray for more of that peace to be real amongst us this season. Let us go from this place and preach peace. Amen? Would you stand with me and let us pray? Lord, Matthew tells us that blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. Lord, if we are sons, may we be those peacemakers. May we also uphold Romans 12, 18. As you teach us in that place, Lord, that if it's possible, as much as it depends on us, live peaceably with all. So, Lord, this Christmas season, would you... Help us enjoy it. Help us enjoy this Christmas by loving those who seem to be unlovable. 
especially maybe in our own families. Cultivate in us, Lord, a sense of amazement in spite of all of our sins that you have forgiven us through Christ. May we be amazed that we have peace with you, God. And that amazement, Lord, it is amazing to declare that I am a sinner, but I have peace with you. And that peace, Lord, makes a heart that the world is trying so hard to make it hard. Lord, it has made my heart more tender, more kind, and more forgiving. Lord, may I extend that forgiveness and kindness 70 times 7, even more so if necessary. Cultivate in us, Lord, a peace that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. As we close, let's sing of the holy night in which that peace was preached.